All right, so uh, we promised that we would come back to talk about more directly related to Hanukkah and Greece as opposed to science in general, although we did draw some parallels between them in the first shear. But now we can really discuss Yavon and really bring the Hanukkah story home. Shlomo sitting on the throne of Hashem means that the kingdom that Shlomo has is not a, a physical kingdom down here. It's not just a, a, a strong man having you know, the, the armies, but like Hazal Darshan, that he ruled not only over the physical world here, but even over the, over the angels and over all the spiritual realms as well. This is a represent, he was a representative of, of Hashem, you know, the, the, bearing the crown of divine kingship in this world. Now, obviously, that was lost due to our transgressions, our sins, with all the um, warnings and all the hundreds of years of uh, going in the wrong direction, till finally Babylonia came and destroyed, destroyed the base of Middash. Now, at this point, it's important to understand what happens. At this point, the, it's not simply now Babylonian king. Babylonians took, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar took the heavenly crown, so to speak, from Jerusalem. Right? I mean, the, the, henceforth, Babylonia is now the new Jerusalem. Now, Their kingdom is divinely ordained. Means that's that's the power with which they rule the world. And then we see this baton be passed around right from Babylonia to Persia to Greece and then finally to Rome. So we are currently in the fourth exile, the Roman exile. And we're not going to have time to go into that right now exactly. Uh, it will be sheer unto itself. But the, the Roman exile is, we'll just bring one support for this. Uh, in Daniel's dream, he sees the four exiles as four beasts, four monstrous creatures. The first three he sees in one dream, and the other one he sees in another dream. He has another dream, and he sees the fourth uh, monster, I mean, representing Rome. Okay, so the concept is that Rome is the embodiment, is the sum total of all the powers of the first three exiles. If we understand that the first three exiles are powers that are capable of ruling the entirety of the world, that has to mean that they are somehow speaking to a very deep, fundamental concept for humanity they can they can take over the whole world just like a person if we think about a person and you can say you know this one thing took over his life or this thing took over a person's life there's only going to be a few things that can take over a person's life and that's going to be because they're tapping into something that's so fundamental that it can actually come to define a person in every way. And just like with a person on, on a personal level, so too with humanity on a global level, each one of these three empires 
represents one of three fundamental key um, areas of human life. And the morale explains that every person is made up of body, emotions, and intellect. Body down here, emotions over here, and intellect up on top. So that means that there are three basic spheres that are definitional to a person. The body is physicality, taiva, lust, desire. Emotions is wanting power, wanting respect, wanting uh, recognition, greatness, those types of things. And then finally, intellect is the pursuit of, uh, of, of, of knowledge. And each one of these is important. A person has to eat. A person has to have emotional satisfaction. A person has to have intelligence. But all three of those are meant to be subservient to a divine crown which is called the neshama. The soul that a person has is above all three of these, and they are meant to be faithful servants. But when that crown is usurped, and each one gets to wear it, first Babylonia, that's pride, right? Everything about Nebuchadnezzar, if you read about the prophecies, it's all about his pride. Then you have Persia, obviously, lost, Ahasuerus making a feast for 180 days and all the women non-stop the whole whole safer is about women uh, pursuit of physical pleasures and then uh, then, uh, Greece of course as we've been discussing is is, uh, intellect and we'll talk about that more so once those three have had their run then pass over to the fourth exile and the fourth exile is the sum total of all three of them. means if you distill out from each one of the three the error of each one, if you could pull out the good from the bad, so the good would be left to the side, and just that bad is gathered, all three parts of that bad are gathered together, that is the fourth and final exile. That's the where they all come together in the what's called uh, the, the opposite. If all three of them are to serve the neshama, so here it's a Adam uh, Blial. It's a disgusting man, you know, the, the image of a, of, a, of a perverted man, where now not only is he someone who runs after lust, not only is he someone who is a Balgaiva, who is an arrogant person, not only is he someone who pursues uh, intellectual fancies, but he's actually become a Russia. And that's why the fourth exile, by the way, if you look throughout Chazal, the fourth exile, the Roman exile, is always referred to as Malchus Russia, the evil, the, the evil uh, empire. Not to say that the Babylonians didn't do anything evil, not to say that the Persians didn't do anything evil, or the Greeks, sure they did, plenty of things. But... But, uh, but to actually become evil, that's, that's unique for this one. Why is it important for us? We're talking about Greece. So we're coming back to say that it's important to understand the first three exiles and how it is specifically that Klausrel managed 
to defeat those exiles, to overcome the challenge presented by them, because the current exile that we're in really is a sum total of all three of them. It means we have to now deal with all three of them at the same time. So that's the answer to that, to that boy's question. The question was, if we, if we didn't yet win and we still have to fight them, so what are we celebrating? And if we did win and we're celebrating, so why is it important to think about it? What am I supposed to learn from it? I, I don't need to learn anything from it. We've already won the war. Answer is, we won that war. Now all three exiles have come back in a reincarnation of the Adam Blial, and that's, that's uh, where I have to re-engage with all three of them and, and uh, <coughs> overcome all three of them at the same time. Misha, you have a question? Uh, so, why is Egypt considered an exile itself? Egypt, that's a good question. Egypt is, to a certain extent, if you, if you, if you understand, uh, the Egypt was before we were ever a nation. We became a nation having left Mitzrayim. So it's true it's an exile, but we're talking about where the crown of, of, of heavenly kingdom is usurped, and then that's passed around between these four. Okay? And, and the reason why it's these four, of course, is because it's the four directions of the world. Um, whereas Egypt is more of a root, is the concept of exile from which everything is going to come from. And that one, of course, is in the Torah. You know, the, the, these four exiles are not in the Chamesha Chumshe Torah. Right? This is already in the prophets and uh, scriptures and even beyond. It's, we're always playing out the, the root of, of the Egyptian exile. Okay, so that's, the, that's the, the reason why it's important for us to learn about the Greek exile because that's going to really give us an insight as to where is the challenge today in the Roman exile that we're in from this perspective, from the perspective of the intellect. And that is the perfect segue, so understanding what is the Greek exile. So first of all, in the dream of Daniel, the, like I said, there's four beasts. The third beast is the leopard. The leopard has four wings on his back, has four heads, uh, so... Leopard has two basic key characteristics. Number one, it's a very intelligent animal, one of the, one of the more intelligent animals, uh, hunters. And number two, it's extremely brazen, which means it, you know, they're great swimmers, they're climbers, they're fearless, they'll like climb over man-made you know, walls and fences and break into you know, chicken coops and things. Like they... Uh, they they don't recognize boundaries. Um, you know, they they could like they, uh, plenty of instances of them attacking, you know, uh, people that are jogging, even though they're not like such big animals. I mean, there's uh, there's stories of people being attacked by by uh, by a leopard and actually, you know, killing the leopard. Uh, they're not necessarily that big. They can be big. They can be not so big, but it doesn't matter. The, the brazenness of a leopard, like of course, the Mishnah says how the Oz Kenemer person should be brazen like a leopard to, to the will of Hashem. Right? So the leopard is the embodiment of brazenness. We see the same thing with Greece. 
Greece, number one, are, uh, they were the intellectuals, they were the philosophers, they were the cradle of philosophy. Uh, philosophy being the, big, back then, philosophy and science were really all one, mathematics, uh, philosophy, biology, the, you know, f- really kind of from there, science as we know it, developed, of course, it's developed and grown over the years, but uh, it really started there, we discussed that uh, in the, back, in, back in the first year. And, uh, and then, of course, the war. Alexander's war is an absolute uh, conquest, is absolutely unique, not like anybody else's. That's why it's so fascinating. Right? It, took, uh, it took Babylonia many, many, many years, right, uh, until finally it expanded itself. Persia, the same thing. Rome took a really long time until it got big. Greece, Alexander conquered more or less the entire known world. What, by the time he was like 30? He started the conquest at like 20. You guys will tell me the exact dates, but it was, uh, it was, it was basically like a non-stop blitz. It was, they were just going city to city, conquering, you know, gathering supplies, going again. <laughs> conquering, gathering supplies, going again. And to the point that it wasn't even, the way the Hazan explained it to us, it wasn't even so much about retaining the territory. As we see that afterwards, you know, Alexander dies, the empire was not solidified, was not, uh, didn't have any good governance that he had put into place, and it falls apart, splinters into three uh, different empires, never really to regain their glory. You know, just the, the do retain, obviously. It's basically territories, you know, Strength, etc., but never, never the same. So the the point is, for Alexander, it wasn't about having the empire; it was about conquering the empire. And that's uh, that's that's the brazen leopard. That's the Greek leopard. Now, <clears throat> next point, we pointed out that there's these two things: intelligence and brazenness. But the truth is that the two of them are one and the same. Because the most brazen thing is the human intellect. Or the intellect, perhaps, in general, but the human intellect. Um, that's, what the, that's what the morale explains, that uh, if you think about it, physical things have natural physical boundaries, right? Uh, no matter how tall a person is, you can be very tall, but you do realize that there's a limit to how tall you are. And if I ask you, can you, you know, can you jump up to the third story of this building? You know, the answer is going to be no, I can't. And, it's, and then people, and people are not embarrassed by that. People don't, don't uh, resent even having to admit such a thing, right? You know, can you lift this uh, super heavy thing? No, I can't. It's just, we just say it. No problem, and we continue. With the intellect, it, it's, it's a bit different. I'd explain it to you, but you wouldn't understand. Right? So right away, I was like, what do you mean I wouldn't understand it? Of course I can understand it. Why can't I understand it? it you know, okay, maybe I need to work on it a little bit. Maybe I need to develop myself. Maybe I need to... Taking stages, maybe I need someone to explain it to me better, but I should be able to understand. Tell it to me slower, right? But eventually I'll get it. 
the, the human mind refuses to acknowledge boundaries. And it's perhaps because the mind itself doesn't have, it's not physical. It doesn't have a physical boundary, right? Is is the same brain can be can contain more or less like no wisdom and no knowledge, or it can contain worlds of wisdom and knowledge, and the brain doesn't have to get any bigger, right? So uh, so that so the, in the, so the moral concludes that intelligence and brazenness are one and the same, and Yavan is both of them. Yavan is the brazen leopard. And the, the intelligence, the philosophy, the grease uh, of, of uh, intelligence is the same grease of the lightning-fast conquest. Now, so that's all just a definition of who they are. But where did they go with it? What happened? So we already spoke before. The mind from all the vessels that we have in serving Hashem, the mind is the greatest vessel. But being a great vessel, there's a, there's a danger of thinking that actually you're the boss, you're in charge, right? And that's, that's, uh, where, that's where the philosophers basically sought to define God, to understand God. Now, we spoke about the fallacy of that um, also, I think, uh, in the first session of the fact that the, the effect cannot be greater than the cause. And being that we are caused by Hashem, we are caused to come about by God, so it would be really, um, there's a natural boundary, there's a glass ceiling that the, the mind that was created by God cannot understand God. And that's, we addressed that back then. Um, but uh, you know, the argument that they made, it's a philosophical argument, uh, a handful of steps, God is perfect. Any change in that perfection would be a, a lack of perfection, and that's impossible. God knows everything, and he and his knowledge are one. Therefore, the changes that are happening down here, if they were to be known by God, that would constitute changes in God, because he and his knowledge are one. And that's, again, as said earlier, impossible, changing God. So, ergo, he must not know what is happening down here. Now, that sounds preposterous. He started out with the premise that he's perfect. And you conclude that he's ignorant. So the solution is, it's not that he you know, can't know, it's that he is disinterested. Because God is only interested in knowing perfection. And we are not perfect, nothing here is perfect, so there's no, no interest in knowing things here. What is the only thing that's perfect? God. So the only thing that God is interested in knowing is in knowing himself. Okay? Uh, in other words... God is out of the picture. In other words, there is a cause to everything, but that cause is not running the world, is not aware, doesn't care, and doesn't intervene. So there is a Mother Nature. I mean, 
whatever are the principles and rules that emanate from the source of rules, I mean, God is the source of all rules, and from there emanates a reality which has to it a certain order, certain rule set, and the world that we're in is the result of that emanation, which is unintentional and undesirable. It's like a sun that's just glowing, right? It's just a rays because it's such an incredible sun, so it's so powerful, so necessarily there's just rays emanating from it. So those rays have certain properties. That's, that's our reality, that's our world. <clears throat> that's why they believed in what's called Olam Kadman. Primordial world means to say that the world has always been. Being that God doesn't have a will for the world to be. Rather, the world is merely an expression of his existence. And God has always existed. So the world necessarily also always existed. The only difference is who, which one is the cause and which one's the effect. That's, in other words, what they did is they wrapped God in a nice bow and put him on a shelf. Right? Incapacitated him. And that is, of course, a, for someone who's not brazen, for someone who's humble, is, is preposterous. How can we wrap our mind around our own source? Right? How can the cause be greater than the effect? As we spoke about in our first year, um, but again, that's brazenness. Brazenness is uh, failure to recognize any boundaries. Okay, so now what happens when they meet us? What happens when Greece meets Klausel? So first of all, when is it that they meet us? When do we engage with them? When is it that Yavan soars to greatness? Say Chazal, it was with coincided exactly with the Ptir of Malachi, the last of the prophets, otherwise known as Ezra. Right? So, as prophecy left this world, so then wisdom inherited. Now, Chazal also tells us that once prophecy ends, now go and ask the Chochem. That's a statement of, that's a, that's a gemon. So, Point is we now have to go into, into chokhmah, into intelligence. We can no longer just ask a navi. Now we have to learn the nevuos, and we have to extract from them what, what we're looking for. So comes along Yavan, and now that there's this void, this vacuum left by nevuah, which by the way is an awesome... Shmu, I, I've never seen this inside, but it's said over the name of the Grah. The Gemara says that when Alexander came to Yerushalayim, he was actually quite angry with the Jewish people. Uh, he was supposed to be angry, maybe, because uh, <clears throat> when he was fighting his war with Persia, so he sent emissaries to the different uh, districts saying, you know, basically, I'm going to be the new king, and you guys should rebel against your... Uh, Persian um, overlords and come over to my side. If you do that, I'll reward you handsomely. And if you don't, dot, dot, dot. Yeah? 
So the Jews stayed, uh, stayed faithful to the Persians. They did not switch sides. So when they did win the war and he was coming to Yerushalayim, there was very significant fear of bad consequences. So the Shimon Tzadik, who was the last remaining member of the Knesset Dola, Mishar Knesset Dola, he was also the Kohen Gadol. So he donned his big de kahuna, and he went out of Yerushalayim to meet Alexander. And when Alexander saw Shimon Tzadik coming to him, this is, it's a Gemara, it's a Midrash, they all have slight different details, but they all more or less say the same thing. Alexander dismounted and kneeled before Shimon Tzadik. And when the generals asked, what, what is His Highness doing? He said that whenever I would be in battle, and I, you know, I was uh, having a difficult time in battle, I saw this image of this man leading me to victory. So the Golan explains that the reason why, what does it mean, Mishra Tzadik was leading him to victory? That Mishra Tzadik was from the Mishara Anshayk Nesak Dola. He was the last member of the Anshayk Nesak Dola. The Anshayk Nesak Dola decreed, davened, and Hashem agreed to them to remove the power, for, uh, the draw to avoid Zora from the world. But we know, Zeluma Zebaralukim, God creates everything. In, in, in balance. And by removing the draw for Avodah Zorah, what's Avodah Zorah? Avodah Zorah is when a person sees the spiritual power of something and he's overcome by it and he wants to serve it. By removing that, by blocking our connection to that spirituality, at the same time we also blocked our connection to the good spirituality as well. I mean, it was a sacrifice that we had to make. And in other words, they, they made it that it would be the end of prophecy, closing the doors of prophecy. So Alexander is saying, this vision of this man is what led me to my victory, means because once idol worship was removed from the world, once prophecy was removed from the world, once spirituality that used to be in the world was removed, which the entire Persian Empire was built upon, they were all idol worshippers, so they were used to doing you know, whatever hocus pocus they would do, and now that was gone, like the rug would have been pulled out from underneath their feet. And Alexander just walked over them. So he's saying that really my victory is thanks to him. By the way, it's very interesting that we see here Alexander, the symbol of, of Yavon of Greece, bowing down to the coin gunnel. Hanukkah story is that the Pach Shemen, the seal with the with the signet of the Kohen Gadol, is what is what overcomes. You know, we won't have time to go into it today, but that's what overcomes the Ivan. So you see that there's a, an ability that Shimon Tzadik is the source from where the Chachma of Yavan comes. But either way, the point is that Yavan are now coming with the with with the wisdom of of human intellect, and they encounter the Jewish people who also understand that now the prophecy is gone, we need to use our intelligence to find the closeness to Hashem.
So seemingly the two of them should be best friends. Right? Intelligence, intelligence. No? Anybody have any ideas? How that worked out? Because I'll have a statement. Ain Gibor Mekanael Begibor. A mighty man is only jealous and wants to fight with only with another mighty man. It means to say, whatever arena I am great in is where I'm gonna be jealous over somebody else who's in the same arena. I don't care, a keyboard doesn't care that you have, the, you know, that you got a 36 on your SATs. Like that, that's just not, he doesn't care, right? So too, with Yavon, they were obsessed with intelligence. They're obsessed with wisdom. And now they encounter a wisdom, but it's a different wisdom. It operates according to different rules, okay? Whereas their wisdom is, I don't know anything except what my eyes see. I start from level one. And whatever I understand is, and whatever I don't understand is not. Remember number one rule of the game in science? No supernatural explanation is allowed. It has to be, that's the rule of the game. Right? It has to be from down here. And the encounter the Jewish people who are using this beautiful intellect, the Jewish intellect, how many Nobel Prizes could have been won with that intellect? And instead, what is this beautiful intellect used for? To receive, to understand prophecy. I mean, with us, the premise, they start on the bottom, we start on top. We start with the premises of Nevoah. We are given our axioms. They create their axioms. <clears throat> and that, that drove them crazy. To the point that they decreed to annihilate the Torah. Not the Jewish people. They actually quite like the Jewish people. How many, how many Nobel Prizes were won by the Jewish people? Right? It's, uh, but wasting away in, in, in yeshivas, learning, that's a, that's a tragedy. Right? So, they, so they made all these decrees. The Midrash says, V'haritz ha'isa tohu v'vohu v'choshech al home. So Reish Lakish darshans those words, tohu, vohu, choshech, and tohom, as the four exiles. So the third one is choshech. Choshech zu yavan, Darkness, that's Greece. They darkened their eyes with their decrees. Now what does that mean? So one way to understand what that means is that they made life so bad, so terrible, that like we just, our vision went black. But, I mean, maybe your vision goes black, maybe it goes very red. That, that's not seemingly, seemingly speaking to a darkness Creating darkness. That's very strange. A people that stand for intellect, right? That's what they're about, and yet they're creating darkness. The answer is again back to the concept. It's within the arena. It means to say the, the Babylonians 
were doing whatever Babylonians do, right? They weren't getting involved in philosophical discussions. They weren't getting involved in getting into the Jewish mind, corrupting the Jewish mind, getting us to view you know, their, their intelligence as, as the real thing and potentially abandoning the Torah. That was, that was unique to the Greeks. Right? So, the, so it means if you have no claims to understanding the world, so then you don't turn off the lights for, for someone who does understand the world. But if you come and you say, no, 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 here's what the world means. Here's what the Tzuras HaOlam, this is what defines the world. And what it is, is you're allowed to ask how questions, you're allowed to ask what questions, you're not allowed to ask why questions, it's the rules of the game. Not allowed to ask why questions. And you're not allowed to ask for what questions. Those are the rules of the game. Right? In science. That's what, that's what the, so the Greeks are looking to, to create a science, something that is just so concrete, so, so uh, devoid of the closeness of Hashem, of the, of the, of the, of the spirit of Hashem. And that, that was the, that was the conflict that we're having. And, and of course, uh, we can't, we can't uh, miss out about talking about the dreidel. Who played the dreidel with over Hanukkah? Anybody? Nobody played the dreidel. You have to play the dreidel. This year, in the last four days, you haven't played dreidel? Uh, you have to. It's a, it's a minna gisrael. No, I'm serious. Yeah, you need to play the dreidel. So I was sitting, I was playing the dreidel with, with, my, with my children. And so then, of course, inevitably, you know, Question comes up, why were we playing dreidel? Anybody know? Well, no wonder you don't play. The Greeks made it illegal to play dreidel as a way of learning. Made learning Torah illegal, right. Yeah, so the Greeks made learning Torah illegal, right? But if you come to a base period, you know, we have a very nice place here, you come together, we're all sitting, all of a sudden, the Greeks are coming. What are you going to do? Well, why is there, why is there um, a whole bunch of people all gathered in one room, right? Besides, okay, let's say you hide this farm, but what, what, are you, what are you doing over here, right? So the answer is, it's a casino, right? Take out your dice, start rolling the dice. Yeah, that's, that's what the Midrash says. That's what they would do. That's how I play dreidel. That's how I play dreidel. Now the question is, okay, I mean, maybe they also put on cowboy hats, but um, what? Why is that so important for us? We should we also wear cowboy hats? Right? Why is it so important for us this dreidel? I mean, Hanukkah literally is like, you think of Hanukkah, you think of the menorah, right? And the second thing is? Uh, I, think, I think the dreidel still beats. First of all, it wouldn't, nowadays it would be, it would be donuts. It wouldn't, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be latkes anyway. But, uh, but it would probably be the dreidel. Right? So it's incredible. The, the, the level of it. So, L'chaira... Like this. Aristotle believed dice to be absolutely random. The role of dice is random. There's no invisible hand guiding whether when you roll the dice, if you're going to get it or you're going to get it. It's not that Hashem wants you to become rich and therefore he'll, ha- he'll help you to win the, the game. 
Israeli. So it's incredible. It literally, perhaps, perhaps, is the symbol of Greek atheism. Yeah, they believe in a god who's you know rolled up in a in a, in a suitcase and tucked up in the, you know in, up in the attic, right? But he's not running anything here. And so there's this world. One of the, some things are determined. Some things could go either way, and some things are random. And so by taking out the dice and rolling the dice, by taking out the dreidel, playing the dreidel, the Greeks were like, oh, these are our guys. Like this is. These are good people over here. They, they, they're playing the random game. You know? Perhaps. So why, why do we do it? To remind ourselves that nothing is random. We're doing it for character. Right. Um... Okay, so, so the, now, the shmonim, the oils that they contaminated. The oils that they contaminated, what is this oil? What are they contaminating? There's the different portions, the moral explains, of a person's mind. Oil means a person's ability to think, to create light. Light is, light is, uh, you know, intellect is synonymous with light, right? Intellect is 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 represented as light, right? People are living in the dark ages, right? It's not because there used to be less light back then, right? The enlightenment, yeah. So the thing that creates the light is the oil. That's the that's the thinking ability, so to speak, and all of that was contaminated. I mean, the Midrashim say that the overwhelming majority of the Jewish people were Mesyavim, were Greeks, assimilated. And we think it's so bad today, whatever percentages it is, 85% or whatever, of Jews assimilated. It wasn't very different back then. As we say in, uh, in Al-Nisim, we say that you gave the, the menu to the hands of the few. So the Midrash says, few, literally, it counts. It counts who it was that started the fighting. It was, it was Yechidim. Because, to repre- and it's represented by this Pach Shema, this little tiny oil that stayed pure. This little tiny part. And of course, just like for the entirety of the Jewish people, you have this one little tiny part, the Kohanim, that stayed pure. So too, inside of each person, most of our minds were contaminated by the Greek thoughts, but there remains always that little neshama, that little pach shaman from which it can be lit, the light of Torah, and, and go out. And, and, the, and the Ivanim knew this. The Ivanim were opposed directly to the Torah. The Midrash says, Ivanim were, were said to the, to the king, he said, they said, the Jews, they have this one thing, the, the menorah, as long as it's burning, we can't do anything against them. If you go and you contaminate that, then they're ours. It means our intellect. Right? To contaminate our intellect, then we're theirs. 
That's what they uh, set out to do. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's so important to light with just the pure oil. And that's why the miracle happens with the, with the menorah, with the oil. That's why it's a symbol for the entire, for the entire um, success of the, of, the, of the rebellion. Okay, so that... Um, I think that obviously bring it back, bring it back home over here, right? So, so we're, we're talking about science. And science, which we've discussed already, and we'll discuss Hashem more, science is an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. Uh, it's the using of the human mind to study the world. It's a good thing. As long as it is used as a tool, as a, as, a, as a vehicle, as a vessel. But a vessel, any vessel, has limits. So if you, if you recognize the, the limits of it, and it comes back into the hand of the neshama, so the neshama, to be successful, has to have a body, has to have emotions, has to have intelligence working for it. But if it uh, takes on a life of its own, then it will inevitably lose track of the boundaries because it is not what imposes... The mind cannot impose a boundary on itself. It must have the boundary imposed onto it by the neshama. That's what Chazal say. Rash is Chokhmah, Yeres Hashem. Right? I mean, Chokhmah first has to be within the parameters of Yeres Hashem. What's Yeres Hashem, Yermiao? The recognition of the difference in the gap between you and the grace of Hashem. Very good. It's as if we practiced it before. So, uh, it's been a while. so, that is, once you understand that, once you're humble, then you, then, you can use, then you can use the intellect. Because once you're humble, you understand that the intellect, number one, of course, the main thing is going to be to try to learn the prophecy that we've received. That's number one. Not that you just want to do everything on my own. You can't do it on your own. It's, it's a vessel that you have. And, uh, and then, of course, that, so it defines what we use a vessel for. And even when we are using it for science, I mean, besides using it for Torah, which is the main purpose, but even when we are using it for science, to use it appropriately, to use it to, use it to help define the how and the what, so that then afterwards, we can take a step back and with the help of the prophecy, ask and answer the why and the for what questions. Okay, that is uh, that's what we wanted to say about the Greek leopard. Uh, are there any questions before we go back to evolution? Uh, well, uh, leopard represents 
Greece? Uh, is Rome the extension of Greece, or is Rome the collection of the three, three empires? He said Rome is the collection of the three empires. So what, what made Rome? What was the distinction between Rome and Greece? Well, we're not going to get to it that much because, again, you know, there's this more of a topic for the summer months when we focus on the fourth exile, you know, approaching uh, some of the periods when the basic movie was destroyed. But, uh, but in short, again, Rome has characteristics of all three. So when, you know, when you go to, when you, when you ask, well, what was the Roman... Science. What was the Roman philosophy? What was the Roman Roman education? Right. It was all. It was all Greek. Right. It was. Uh, you know, they sent all their. All the schools were were uh, were in. You know, either in Greece or or somehow um, you know spun off from the Greek uh, education, etc. Um, but then, as far as the hedonism. They bested even the Persians. <laughs> they outdid Akashverish himself with their Roman feasts of excusing oneself after you've stuffed yourself with food to, to go into the vomiting room, to empty out your belly so you can come back and resume eating and drinking more, uh, all sorts of things like that, right? So suppose Rome, Rome is the combination of all three. So it's true that they got their culture and their science, their you know their intellect from Greece, right? But they uh, they they gathered the worst of all the three empires. Okay, so we're looking forward, uh, Bez Hashem. Then next week uh, we'll talk about evolution, and uh, then we will. Uh, have a chance to talk about age of the universe, which will give us an opportunity to talk about fossils, dinosaurs, and all sorts of cool stuff like that. Age of the universe, movement of time. Okay, very exciting. Looking forward.